what a show we have today. Henry Gage Jr., Director of Certifications for the U.S. Hemp Building Association and founder of Build Green Now. Jacob Waddell, Executive Director of both the U.S. Hemp Building Association and the U.S. Hemp Building Foundation. And Sally Warren, a board-certified naturopath and member of Build Green Now. Three members of the heroic and historic team uh, that presented in front of the International Code Council on Hemp Crete just recently. Welcome to Hemp Barons, the three of you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I am just going to get right into it and lay a foundation for the listeners here of Hemp Barons. Now, I speak of hempcrete frequently because of the thousands of products that can be made with hemp. Hempcrete is nearest and dearest to my heart. So let's start. Henry, could you explain to us what is hempcrete? In its simplest form, it's a combination of a lime binder and hemp herd. So hemp herd is made from the stock of a hemp plant, and it's the part that we're arguing has such low THC that it shouldn't be regulated. Just let us build with it. And how I like to explain it, and thank you so much for that, is of course that hempcrete, despite the crete, which tends to give a connotation of concrete, so folks are like, oh gee, I, I, when I do my hempcrete workshops, folks will say, can I use that for a driveway? I don't know why that's one of their first questions. Uh, can I use it for my driveway? Despite the fact that hempcrete has that crete word in it, the reality is it is a pest, rot, mold, and fire-resistant construction infill. It is insulation made from hemp and lime. Why? And, and, and Sally, I'm sure that you will be able to um, also add some information to this. Why is hempcrete a superior insulation than basically any other form of insulation? Great question. Yes. Um, hempcrete or hemp lime, as we refer to it, is a superior uh, combination, and you you have to see it as a combination. It it, it is um, in strength together, and used in houses, it it actually helps to prevent mold growing. Uh, it is antibacterial, antifungal, anti all kinds of different things. And the, it's, it's the combination of the two that is very, very important. Uh, what we refer to as, as hempcrete is actually um, presented as, as hemp lime. The, the other thing is that it is hydroscopic. So what does that mean? It means that it has uh, the ability to absorb and release moisture. And what does that do in a house? It freshens the air. It, it has almost the ability of, of filtering, but that assumes then that uh, air is going through, which is, which is the wrong idea. It's, it's the moisture. It loves moisture. And so if you're in, say for example, a bathroom, taking a shower, it will actually absorb the steam. And that um, in other houses may produce mildew, which will eventually, if constantly fed and kept at the right temperature, will mold. And mold is a living creature that needs to be fed and kept at the, the right temperature, just like any pet although one wouldn't necessarily want to keep mold as a pet. Uh, the, the hempcrete or the hemp lime combination 
does an excellent job at keeping the uh, regulating the moisture and it will release it again once it's found a balance which is what is so absolutely fascinating and also it's it's something that allows such a freshness of air uh, which is is so important it's just amazing that that it's superior indoor air quality. And, and, and I want to revisit that in a minute. Absolutely. Now, the hygroscopicity, hygroscopicity, same thing as vapor permeability, right? For those who, who that may be a more familiar term to. Um, I, however, uh, love the word hygroscopic. Um, uh, but essentially, that's what it's doing. It, it's thermalating humidity or moisture, just as you say, and, and it is also regulating thermal energy. And so let's talk about that for a moment in terms of why it is a superior uh, insulation. So with a particular, with, a, with the right thickness wall, as you know, Henry, and I often say between six and 18 inches, and please, one of you will correct me if I've misspoken here, depending, of course, how close you are to either the equator or a pole, extreme temperatures, you would be able to, with very good windows, of course, be able to construct your home such that it does not need a heating or a cooling system in most circumstances. It would maintain an ambient interior temperature of around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, generally speaking, all year, um, if you have the right thickness and, and the right mix. And, and it will last for hundreds of years. Can we talk about those aspects, uh, Henry? Thank you. Sure. I think a way of looking at this, this is one of my favorite topics because I love the topic of thermodynamics in college. Yes. And what you see in this material are a couple of, of features. Whenever someone walks into our house, we live in a hempcrete house, the first thing they notice is a change in sound. Because the way we finish the walls, it has few reflections. So suddenly the sound level goes down for more than one reason. The first is the reflection of your own voice. And secondly, blocking sound coming from outside. So you get this, this sense of acoustic improvement. Um, it makes for great conversation. Imagine sitting in a noisy restaurant where there are concrete floors and flat, smooth walls and flat ceiling. Um, sometimes it's horrible because you're close to people, but everyone's yelling so that they can be heard. We literally have opportunities to put this material on walls and bring down the sound level and offer an artistic finish. Another thing about the material is its thermal properties. So you can consider that combination of hemp and lime to be a bit of a thermal mass. What does that mean? It is something that interacts with its environment. So what one would need to do is look at their own environment to understand what they'll get. Because you imagine that wall structure, you have an outside and you have an inside. Now outside you'll have changing temperature and changing humidity. So the wall is actually an active element if you think of it in these terms because the moisture is trying to get in at a certain rate into the wall and also thermal. So let's just look at it from the inside. What we've experienced is an even heat. So in other words, during winter times, freezing outside, we turn on the wood-burning stove or the heat pump, and it heats up the room, and the wall tends to hold some of the heat to the point that as you walk through a room, upstairs or downstairs, the temperature is consistent. And that's probably one of the larger features a person would notice with a two-story home. We have a two-story home and you can hardly tell the difference in temperature between upstairs and downstairs. Now, I guess in terms of the hygroscopic properties, what's going on there is you can almost imagine the, it's both 
true for moisture and for thermal, you have what you might call like an S-curve. In other words, the point on the wall at whatever the temperature is at, that's what it is. But if it's colder outside, the wall is basically blocking some of the energy transfer, and that's what allows you to maintain the heat. So it acts as an insulator. It's just absolutely a fascinating material. And, and to sort of offer some additional wrap-up of that incredible lesson that you just gave us, I suppose the summary of it is thermal inertia, right, or diffusity. Now, that's how a building reacts to the changing temperature outside, right, in relationship to the temperature inside or how easily a local temperature change spreads through a material. Mm -hmm. That's a function of thermal conductivity and thermal capacity. So we're talking thermal conductivity, of course, being the ability for thermal energy or heat uh, to be transferred through a material. Yes. Then thermal capacity is what's the material, you know, how how does this material hold that thermal energy? The amount of heat required, I guess, to, to change that that material's temperature through any given amount. So you've got your thermal conductivity, your thermal capacity, and it's thermal conductivity and thermal capacity that determine inertia because a material has to have that high thermal capacity needs to hold that thermal energy, the high capacity, and it has to have low conductivity to have that good thermal inertia. And basically, those are two concepts that are very, very hard to reconcile or to marry, but they are married in hempcrete. So you've got this incredible home, this two-story home in Kingston. Of course, there's homes going up all over, um, but this this home in Kingston where you've got this consistent, warm feeling and beautiful indoor air quality because you have chosen uh, hempcrete for your insulation. Yes, I will add from a practical standpoint Please. that this is an old house. It's from the 1850s. We chose the retrofit model where we put it onto the walls. Now, what that also means is that after you finish your walls, you're going to learn some other things about your property. You might have to look at the floors. You might have to look at the ceilings and look at the windows. So those are other conversations. But regarding hempcrete, I think what else is worth mentioning is what is on the horizon for the material as we get the tests in place. We're looking at it as a potential uh, solution or a part of a solution for remediation of mold, for example, slowing the spread of mold, the growth of mold. Because with what we're seeing is that if you look at how inside of a wall cavity you have like condensation that starts out of sight. Now keep in mind, at one point people thought it would be good to put plastic behind sheetrock. Then they pull the sheetrock off and find mold. Now, what's interesting about this material is because if you have a slow leak and you don't know where it's coming from, what will tend to happen with this material is as soon as the water lands on it, it tends to disappear. I show friends an example where I throw a cup of water on the wall. You'll see the splash mark and you come back in a half an hour and you can't tell where it was because it got absorbed and diffused within the material and then evaporated based on the thermal or based on the humidity level of the room. So it'll release it in later. And the other property that was fascinating that we personally experienced and that we're going to focus on in future testing is if you could imagine in a stud bay, let's just take, strip away the siding all of it. Just look at the basics of a stud bay that provides uh, support. Even though we didn't argue for structural support, we've experienced that it provides significant structural support. Because if you think about it, there is no place for the studs to go under load or under attempts to shear because the semi-rigid elastic properties of hempcrete doesn't allow it to move. And we experienced that because a car crashed into the corner of our house. 
And basically, it sent a shock wave down the wall that we felt through the house. But because it wasn't a crystalline structure, or it wasn't a fragile crystalline structure, some of it came out of the wall, but it was able to resist enough of the force to stop the car. Whereas, fascinatingly enough, just last week, I passed by a store where a car had run into a column in front of a store, and because it was crystalline, it basically cracked and shifted. It, it's amazing the sort of torque, right? And when we we talk about hurricane proof or tornado proof, you know, where mm-hmm. earthquake proof, yes, where uh, amen to that. Where where do those uh, meaning amen to resistance versus proof? Um, where are those sort of schematics? Where uh, how does hemp creek compare to say a Portland cement, which of course is structural and structural, and hemp creek still requires uh, you know framing of some kind? It's just fascinating to to really get into the the science of that that torque of yes. of hemp creek versus that a frigid uh, or a frigid or as you say crystalline structure that rigidity exactly yeah it's just fascinating now having said all of that the reality is that in the united states and and in most parts of the world but we're talking about the united states for right now when you want to build a hempcrete structure you are basically automatically become an advocate because you're going to have to prove to your building and planning department why it is that you want to use hempcrete and get get them to approve your use of hempcrete when they're not familiar with this material and there's really nothing in any codes for them to look up. Um, and it it's, can be very difficult uh, to a little easier. For example, as you well know, the first fully permitted hempcrete home in the United States was built for uh, the then mayor of Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, it's a little easier to get your building and planning department to approve a permit when it's for the mayor, right? And of course, it was wonderful professional builders who were able to make all of uh, those cases. But others, um, it can be very difficult. And oftentimes, folks had been forced and, and have been forced to build their hempcrete structure, but with different things that that shouldn't have to be part of extra bracing, extra layers, because the building and planning department said, okay, we'll let you do this, but you're going to have to do this too. And, and it wasn't necessary. In comes the U.S. Hemp Building Association and the U.S. Hemp Building Foundation. And we've got our massive hero here, Jacob Waddell, um, the executive director and former president of the board of directors uh, for USHBA. Um, and Knowing, and we had known this for years, and of course, Dion Margraf, the late, great Dion Margraf, um, who we all know and love and who has such a special place in in the history of, of cannabis and hemp and, and in the history of the U.S. Hemp Building Association, said, we need to get this into the code. Like, we've this has got to move from cottage industry, everyone's an advocate, to the mainstream. This is simply a superior building product. We are in climate change. We're having fires. We can not, we can no longer tolerate that 50% of landfill waste every year is due to construction materials, off-gassing, toxic, temporary construction materials. We need to get this into the code. So with Jacob's leadership, this began, this, this application to add hemp lime, which we're calling hemp create the hemp lime appendix to the International Residential Code 
through the International Code Council, that effort was born. Jake, please talk to us first about, brother, uh, what was required, the, the, uh, not only the expertise, but also the funding required to prepare this appendix um, and then submit it to the International Code Council, and then we'll move on to the wild success from there. Okay. Um, so in general, the process is you need to submit a document um, for approval. Our process started really at the U.S. Hemp Building Foundation's uh, Hemp Build 2021, uh, which was our big fundraising campaign last year. We were able to get in um, enough money at that point to start courting um, consultants. We saw that there had been people that had successfully done this with straw bale and straw clay, and we decided that the best idea was to get them on our team and have them repeat their success. So we, we brought them on. Um, after that, we reached out and tried to get collaborators on the writing process. Um, Mary Dempsey from Impactful Ventures stood up and she became a crucial piece of the puzzle, um, helping to keep us organized and keep everything moving forward, uh, taking documents and uh, having people translate them, taking things and stripping them down and and resubmitting them kind of in hemp language. She, she did a lot of amazing things. And she also brought on Kiko Thabot, um, who between Kiko and Cameron McIntosh were the initial builders or architects that we had involved in the group. Uh, Cameron got really busy. He had that big success at the end of last year. And um, so understandably, he had to back away for uh, the, the time period uh, for the first couple months. But we started drilling through the product, um, taking the straw bale and the light straw clay appendices and modifying them as necessary to make sense with hempcrete and then going back and going line by line and making sure that everyone from the hemp building side agreed that made sense. And everyone from the code side said that is code language. Um, then, you know, about three months in or I, I guess two months in, there was the Austin Summit and we were able to increased the team and Cameron was able to join us again, Matt Marino from uh, Homeland Hempcrete and Gary Fox out from Seattle uh, were able to join in and help. Um, everyone kind of did their part and got everything together. Uh, Gary, for instance, like did the drawings that are in the, the document. So we'd have been kind of lost without that. Uh, I guess um, from there, there was the submission in January. The, the submission process has happened every three years. So we were kind of on a timeline that we had to hit this by this date. Uh, before we submitted it, we sent it out for review to like uh, to two dozen or so uh, international uh, members of the hemp building world, as well as some uh, specialties in uh, structural and fire and vapor permeability from the, the established IRC building community. And uh, then we took all those reviews and tried to filter them down to a finished document that um, was submitted. And um, then two months later, um, there was there was a, a rush to gather another group of people together that were mostly in the in the uh, Rochester area. Or we try to keep it in the northwest um, that could able were able to come and show up at the defense and or the committee action hearing and um, talk about the document and show support and really kind of push it across the finish line. So. Just incredible. And I think you meant Northeast, right? Because it was Rochester, New York. You are correct. 
awesome sauce. I mean, uh, and that's where, of course, Sally and Henry hail from uh, upstate New York. And so I had to go a little west to Rochester. It's a, a larger state than folks realize, New York. Um to do that testifying, which I want to talk about in a second, in the end, how much money was was raised uh, or uh, how much did it cost essentially to submit this? And I know I've, uh, there's more funding and we'll get to the next step that that absolutely needs to come. But in terms of getting to the and when we say IRC listeners, we're talking about the International Residential Code. The IBC is the International Building Code and the ICC is the International Code Council. Uh, so how much money did it take for this appendix to make it through that every three year, that deadline that you made it through in January to get to the committee hearing at which you testified? Okay. So in our situation, uh, we were able to raise a little bit over $60,000. Um, we have spent a little bit under 30, but we're still waiting on a bill from the consultant. So I'm guessing we're probably going to be closer to about $40,000 at this point. And we still have a couple other stages to go through. Um, so that's where we're at. Now, this was the creation of a brand new appendix. So this is the biggest chunk of work you're probably ever going to do in one of these submissions. So in future rounds, it would be a lot less because you'd be modifying a sentence here um, it could actually be more if you include testing costs, because a lot of the things that we don't have proven right now, we now need to spend money on tests. And some of the tests alone cost $50,000 for a single test. So, Amen. Yeah, it, it ranges. It's basically a limitless funding needs there. And by the way, bravo USHBA, because I remember way back in January of 2021 when that original fundraising went down. And even in planning for that, the estimate was, I think we're going to need around $40,000 for this. So clap, clap, clap. $40,000. As I mean, most people don't get anywhere near that correct estimate. Good job, guys. Amazing. Um, and of course, the, the funding needs remain absolutely limitless because not only uh, the testing that needs to be done, but then beyond that, of course, there will be all kinds of uh, advancing the mission of both the USHBA and the USHBF to continue to move forward because we're really talking about residentials right now. So in any event, you submit then you gather the group together of those who testified. And of course, Henry testified, Sally testified, you testified, and, and a, really an international uh, group of folks. I mean, both Bob and Alex Escher from Vermont to see Tim Callahan, uh, Tim Callahan from uh, North Carolina, who of course was so responsible for the Now House, the first global, first in the world, platinum lead certified hempcrete home. Um, just amazing to see see these groups of people that, that I so love. Uh, and, I, and it was so interesting and fascinating to be able to follow you through social media and say, okay, now they're all at the Airbnb and they're preparing. And then Henry, you did such an outstanding job, brother, as director of certifications for the USM Building Association. And of course, for your own incredible organization, Build Green Now, to, to give us these updates. And you listened to the, these were seven days of hearing of which 
This hemp lime appendix was just one of many proposals over seven days of hearing live hearings in Rochester. And the fact that you studied, you guys, you studied the various other folks who testified before you on their proposals and studied the reactions and questions of the nine committee members who were, were charged with these important decisions and to be able to understand and, and figure out what are their personalities and what are their individual concerns and really begin to hone and finally hone uh, that incredible testimony that you had so diligently prepared. And it was exquisite. Everybody who had to deliver on science did it so exquisitely. Sally, as a board-certified naturopath and representative of Build Green Now, you did such an outstanding job uh, discussing the health benefits of hempcrete, which we're going to talk about in a second. And Henry, for you to bring it on home at the end, brother, as the finale of the opening case, as it were, to say, and, and listen, with the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, we, this, this, has, this crop has been removed, essentially, from the shackles of the controlled substance. It is, is a legal agricultural commodity. We have proven that it is superior. We need to move this from a cottage industry into the mainstream. It was just absolutely fantastic. Sally, what was it like, sister, the only female uh, in the group of, of amazing brothers testifying? What was it like preparing and, and actually going before the committee in that building? Can you share with us what your experience was like the 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 team of um extremely qualified and experienced guys were amazing i i was i was always fascinated listening to them talking about uh their experiences and their um uh, you know their incredible qualifications so i know i it never occurred to me because I was just constantly in awe of the, the, the people around me and how generous they all were with uh, their um, willingness to, to see this plant be recognized and finally be able to stand up and, and to be legalized and accepted in with the, uh, the big boys. So... In, in that respect, it never even crossed my mind. It, it was slightly terrifying being <laughs> in, in the actual uh, code hearing, uh, but uh, Jake and his team did such an awesome job. We all practiced and practiced and we honed uh, our wording and, and we re-practiced and, and we supported each other. And we all had the same goal that it, it never occurred to us to allow ego to come in any any side door that you know we want this to go through we want to to make it succeed Ah, uh, plant. That plant is the great synthesizer. And uh, I, I almost giggle when you say, and the willingness, because most of the people who testified, it's not that we're all so willing. And I did not testify. I, I just, I testify in all kinds of hearings, but I certainly did not testify in that one. Um, 
the plant picks you and then you're in and you're just basically don't have a choice. So most of the people that were in that Airbnb with you and testified, they couldn't stop if they wanted to. It is just that the plant gets you, it gets up into your DNA and you work to deliver on the promise of this plant and you do what it takes. And that's what this group has done. And it is just tremendous. Can you share with us a little bit about your, which of course was on the health benefits, but share with us a little bit of, of your testimony or what was the most important thing for you to deliver uh, uh, to the, the committee members? What did you most want them to understand about your testimony? Well, that, that's a really great question because uh, I had worked in Manhattan uh, for, for a number of years seeing so many people who were mold injured and uh, the, 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 uh, the number of symptoms were incredible, right to where I, I was seeing a, a lady who basically couldn't live in her apartment. She, she couldn't even couch surf because she had become so highly sensitized. And um, the, the mold had started off in her system and then sensitized her to many other issues, chemicals, uh, glues, uh, fire retardants, all kinds of things like that. Um, and it was really, uh, and, and also um, I, I talked with a number of mold experts uh, and the more I learned about the, the project that we were working on here in, in upstate New York uh, to incorporate hemp into homes, the more I researched, because I'm always hungry for, for information, the more I researched, the more I, I saw this as the, the potential for uh, the answer, the answer to so many health issues. And, and that was basically uh, boiled down in my testimony in the fact that I have seen so many people mold injured. And uh, when I've actually had uh, mold experts and mold injured people to the house, None of them have symptoms. It's a little bit like the canary in the, in the mine where, um, you know, they were all canaries, bless them, bless them. But uh, none of them had any symptoms. And so to me, it's, it's really confirming what, what um, there, there isn't enough research on, but uh, I will make sure that there's more information out there. To, to just let people know how uh, this natural product is so, so important. If, if we can do mold remediation for mold-damaged houses, do you know that um, during the, the hearing, uh, mold came up and there is a billion dollars outstanding in lawsuits regarding mold in homes? It, it's just so crazy. And, and Sally, of course, I, I live in Seattle, yes. Pacific mm. Northwest. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're all about the mold up here. Yes. So, I mean, if we could just change it all uh, to hempcrete. So, and, and again, the, the testimony was so well-rounded. The leadership of this group was just so important that your voice was heard and that that aspect was heard on top of the technical aspects that made it very clear this is in so many ways a superior construction material based on its 
performance as an insulation alone. And then we get into all of those other aspects of it. It was just uh, really quite fantastic. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to get to the next step in a second, um, which is so important. Uh, but before we go there, Henry, I know that there were a few modifications on the floor as this as the process goes. You know, just like legislation, you can there was generally a public comments. Uh, there were various hearings. Legislators can make amendments. The the people pu the public can make amendments. And like many processes and various other code and, and standardizing agencies, uh, there are modifications. And there were three modifications on the floor. Two of them I understand, uh, and I loved watching every moment of this were basically non-substantive. We won't bother with those, but there was one um, that was interesting and substantive. Could you just explain to us about that modification because it was approved with that modification? Sure. I think Jake probably has some of the details right in, in front of him on, on that one. I know there was, was one a person complained about um, another appendix adding more words uh, to the code. So that one wasn't that critical, but then there's a second one that had more to do with the seismic concerns. Do you want to share on that one, Jake? Yeah, from my understanding, um, the IRC code is supposed to talk about, you know, uh, residential buildings in A, B, and C uh, seismic categories, as well as in certain areas, D, and so on. Um, and I, the concern was that townhouses um, fall into the A and B category and not the A, B, and C category in most of this documentation that's in the IRC so um, a representative from FEMA had wanting to make that correction to clarify that. So we weren't covering A, B, and C for all the buildings covered in the IRC, but just A and B for townhouses and A, B, and C for the others. And what I might add is that during the hearings, normally there it's a 10-person panel, but they were probably a bit exhausted. The person had to leave early. So we had nine people we were speaking to. So uh, one had voted based on the number of words and appendices. The other had voted based on the seismic issue that that was just uh, just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what's interesting is a consideration going forward is that the, there was a, a reasonable consideration around the idea of a, a mass wall. So the concern there is that if you have a mass above a certain height, what are the additional uh, bracing and shear resistant uh, building requirements that are in place? And that's a primary reason for the foresight that the team had in focusing on single story. Now, what that means is that it's a prescriptive code People can build two-story structures. They just need to work it out with their, their building department, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. Thank you for that. And, and actually, that's a perfect segue into the next step to wrap up what was approved is the appendix for hemp lime, which is hempcrete, uh, insulation for, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, one and two family dwellings and townhouses within that A and B code. Please, if I have misspoken, massage that so that it's correct for our listeners. Pretty much, and I think both Jake and I can, can speak to that. I would encourage people to read the language itself. And in fact, uh, what Jake and I are working on is some training content. I'll, I'll defer to, to, to Jake on that part. And I'll, I'll mention that um, primarily the idea is that we are now in the public hearing phase. And the expectation is that we may receive some com comments, public comments, and we'll coordinate details associated with those to get through this, this period. Anything else you want to add or expand on, Jake? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of 
things moving forward. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Right now we are in the public comment hearing uh, period. You can make public comments. These are alterations to the code. These are like amendments to the code that is being presented by somebody. Um, we are trying to coordinate that the best. Basically, if we get no public comments, then in September, we'll be lumped in with everything else that got no public comments, and there'll be a single vote that would approve all the documents. So for us, it may be best if there's no public comments, but we're still considering, you know, if, if there's good input, um, what, what we need to look at. Um, this kind of spins off to what we need to look at for the next three years, which is what testing needs to be done in order to expand it. Like, for instance, giving us credit for the fire resistance and giving us credit for these structural uh, rack, you know, racking improvements that you see. Um, so the, these are some of the next steps. Thank you. And, and so essentially, uh, and I wanted to sort of just wrap up that we're not talking about commercial. So as before, and we've moved on to next steps, but really I, I, what I was trying to make clear was this is the international residential code. These are one and two family dwellings and townhouses within A and B. We are not talking about department stores and apartment buildings yet. Having said that, indeed, there are department stores and apartment buildings of Hempcrete insulation that are going up, that have gone up, and they're tremendous. I mean, the Triangle was one of the first ones, right, in England. Um, and then the department store, which unfortunately um, escapes me right now. Uh, but what we're talking about, though, is moving from the approval of the hemp lime appendix into the adoption of the hemp lime appendix. So next steps, my understanding is that's what we're experiencing. And Jake, the public comment period that you're talking about ends, I think, June 20th, from what I understood from that incredible um, news and update that came subsequently from USHBA. And that is in preparation for the next set of hearings, which will be live or not, please correct me, in September. Are you going to have to testify for that again, or will that be just a vote that is taking place over a series of meetings? It depends on if there's public comments. If there's public comments, it'll be a similar process where there will be a you know proponent and the, the opponent on any different public comments or amendments to the different parts. To kind of talk about the process briefly, um, if, if a public comment is made, it makes it to the floor. There's a 50% vote that needs to be hit in order to reopen the uh, whatever the submission was initially. And then at that point, there needs to be a two-thirds approval in order to get any of those amendments or modifications from the public comment period accepted. There is also a possibility if something was disapproved at the last committee hearing that they could make it approved at this hearing. That was successfully done by Cobb last time, but there's a big, basic, big political campaign that has to go with that, trying to get all the support you can from all the ICC members from different states. Um, that's the brief. And, and so that will, at that point, we get approved officially. Adoption is a whole separate sep thing. Adoption is, um, you know, state by state having them adopt the appendix. There are certain states, I believe, like Maryland, which will just approve it automatically. Depends on how they're set up. Um, but what we're doing is we're trying to form a coalition with other natural building groups um, so that we can, as a team, kind of go out and try to get the group of appendices all approved at the same time and really build a strategy on how to do this. Because 
right now it has not successfully been done um, across the board with a lot of these natural buildings. Jake, this is like, I know the listeners can't see me, but you guys can. And I'm sitting there going, oh, with my jaw to the floor, this is so useful. I did not realize this. Okay. So we went from basically the preliminary approval, which is probably why you guys use the word preliminary. Thank you. I'm just now making sense. And then we would go into the formal and final approval in September because now we're in the public comment period. It's all starting to jive with me now. And at that point, the states, just like when we legalized hemp as an agricultural commodity at the federal level, the 50 states get to decide, well, thank you, feds. We appreciate that. But we're going to decide state by state, we're going to pass legislation to cultivate hemp. It's the same thing here. So still, each state is going to have to decide. Uh, and I love the fact that we understand, hey, there are some states that just automatically, if, it, if it's been approved for the IRC, they're going to automatically do it. For other states, it'll be a lobbying effort. And believe me, I will be so happy if you're not already connected to connect you with the Northwest uh, Eco Building Guild, which is very near and dear to my my heart here um, in the States. Now, want to ask you a quick question also about the next step, and it gets into how the public uh, can assist, but I want to make sure at the end, the, the number one way that the public can assist here is to donate to the U.S. Hemp Building Foundation in order to move this process forward. But with legislation during a public comment period, folks can simply put in public comments that say, please approve this bill, please pass this bill, and nothing more than that. In other words, it's just totally supportive. Legislation is different than a code and, and, a, and an ethics or a standard. So is it helpful for folks to put to submit public comments that are as simple as, please approve this, or that is not any part of this process at all? It is not helpful. It, it, is, it is just something that it would be a waste of pe- people's time. From my understanding from the consultants, it would not be helpful. This is really a period for proposing amendments. Got it. Excellent. So unless you've got it taking an issue with uh, with the approval, stand down and it's moving forward. It's moving forward. And I also very much appreciate that, you know, on the one hand, stand down, everybody. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. While on the other hand, saying despite the fact that we've engaged the international and global experts for months and months on this issue, it is possible somebody comes up with a novel idea and we would hate to turn such a novel idea or thought away. So what a position you're in. Oh my God, you guys are so fantastic. And as we move forward, there is a thing here, the Code of Federal Regulations, which run our lives uh, here in the United States of America. And there, and we call those the CFRs, the Code of Federal Regulations. Henry, my brother, as Director of Certifications, there is a CFR, 16 CFR, 460, um, which governs essentially the labeling uh, and advertising of home insulation. So despite the fact that let's pretend we've got the final approval in September and then that all the states adopt it, let's just go there, okay? We will still have 16 CFR 460, which is the labeling and advertising of home insulation to, to uh, I'll say contend with, but it's not a contention, to comply with. How does that uh, code of, how does that particular reg- regulation interact with what we're talking about now? 
I would say that we, we embrace regulations because they provide a substantial benefit. As we talk as a team and we think about the work that we did, we want to support safety. The whole purpose of this is to provide a, a protocol that increases safety. Now, when it comes to measuring insulation, of course, a person isn't going to the store and buying a, a box of, of hempcrete that fits their house, so there isn't a place to put the label, actually. Instead, there are companies that are going to make products like insulation batting. Some of that is, in those cases, they're going through processes where they're going to be held to labeling requirements. And it's just you know, one more thing is in terms of proof and verification, so it's fairly straightforward. In terms of the work that we do, we'll continue to look at the materials we're working with and, and add increasing levels of, of detail based on science to show the relationship between the lime binder, the herd, and the insulative properties. So within the appendix, uh, what we will do as part of our continuing education process is help people understand how to comply with the appendix. So for example, there are tests that you want to do that increase the likelihood that you meet the insulative expectations of the material. So in our case, you may be looking at, let's say, average 2R per inch. Now, depending on the application, if you're using spray applied or if you're using blocks, and you're putting some of those in place and finishing them, you'll get slightly varying results. So we'll defer to the manufacturer's re recommended process for the material for that. But I think we're in fairly good shape for that. Another thing to consider is that this is not like any other insulative material. It's not as simple as just, you know, put it in the wall and measure because even that is not really accurate because what I found with insulation, if you don't seal it well, et cetera, et cetera, and you have not hempcrete but other material, air flows around that and completely obliterates any expectation that you might have had of R value. The benefit of hempcrete is that it seals the cavity and immediately stops all those convection currents that could otherwise occur. In addition to that, all the other properties, I think we're going to find that the what actually data is showing is that the material outperforms expectations. Our challenge is going to be to capture and document that. And what a segue, brother, thank you for that. And what a segue to how can the public help? Because we're getting right back to testing and proving. And there are things that we know about hempcrete that we need scientific, additional scientific uh, evidence for. And there are things that we suspect about hempcrete and are pretty sure we can prove, but we need the, the money to, to be able to do that. So Jake, how can the public uh, help to advance this incredibly important mission? This is a climate change. This is not hemp specific. This is not housing specific. We're talking about being in a very critical period of the evolution of the planet Earth. This is incredibly important work. Words actually do not do it justice, including the adjective incredibly. It's exponential. How can the public help to advance this mission uh, and essentially heal the planet, make healthier homes? So um, donations really are, are key. We need money to move things forward. I, I think we, we've done a really good job on not much of a budget coming up to this point. Uh, what we've seen is after this, it, uh, beyond the things we've already discussed with testing and the, the finishing of the IRC code, we do have the commercial codes coming up in two years. And so we want to submit to those. And we have, you know, carbon credit calculations we're trying to figure out and, and trying to set up practices for herd specifications. All these things are taking time and money, uh, testing practices for houses that get built. 
Uh, so ushbf.org will will forward you over to ushba.org slash ushbf. Uh, you can find the links there. There's a GoFundMe page that you can donate to. Uh, we will be re, um, rehashing that in the next couple of weeks. There is the uh, Hemp Building, USHBF Hemp Build 2022 that we'll be announcing soon and the dates on that. You know, please attend to that. If you're a corporate uh, level or you have this kind of backing, please consider being a sponsor for that event. But the long story short is we need money to keep going forward. We're, we're pursuing grants, we're pursuing whatever partnerships we can to keep the progress forward because uh, we've done a great thing here, but it's really just a step. And we need a lot more. God, it's just so, so important. The biggest bang for your donation buck right now, if you ask me, is getting that money to the U.S. Hemp Building Foundation. Henry, do you have something to add to that, my brother? Yes, I'd like to add that there is something else that each of us can do from where we are. And that would be to reach out to the organization and join as a member. So your membership dues make a huge difference. Join as an organization, because what we're talking through right now as a board is how to collaborate with other organizations. We recognize we're not the only game in town. However, there's a certain amount of, of, of power. There's the power of unity. And there's also the benefit of collaboration. And as we come together, what we're going to find, if you can imagine, we basically have to figure out how to spread this good news coast to coast and border to border. So if we're talking about all 50, the, the contiguous states plus the other territories, including you know, Puerto Rico, et cetera, we want to make sure we have a key lead representative in each of those areas that are then drilling down into their areas and creating connections with organizations that are there. Here's an important reason why. Because we can certainly use technology to decide who to send which messages to so everyone doesn't get the same blast. If there is someone in a region who has an event, imagine how they could work together more effectively. Now, on top of that, if, you think, if we think about how do we move quickly to get some of this material adopted by local building departments, that's where that starts paying dividends, having already done the groundwork. So now is a great time to do the groundwork to, to, to create the roadways for us to move efficiently with these other ideas. Oh, we're talking about coalition building. That's advocacy is what I do, my brother. And that's what USHBA is doing right now in USHBF. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Donate. And these, these websites that we're talking about, ushba.org, ushbf.org, they can all also be found on uh, the website that produces hemp barons, podconnects.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-N-X.com. We'll have all of these assets uh, and websites there. And Henry Gage, Jacob Waddell, and man, the amazing and incredible Sally Warren, I cannot thank you enough for being with us on Hemp Barons today for the tremendous work that you're continuing to do. I'm rooting for you every step of the way, and we cannot wait to have you back on again. Thank you for being on Hemp Barons today. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, 
I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.